If you have your Bibles with you, um, we, stay, we stand when we read the Word of God because for us it is the most important thing that we have on this earth is God's Word to us. And so this is probably the most important part of our morning. If you turn to Philippians chapter 2, we were here a few weeks ago, but I want to start reading in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Philippians and then we'll go over to Ephesians. It's right in front of it. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Here's the verse we'll be focusing on next two. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also. So, so this isn't saying that you can't have your own interests. Isn't that nice? But also to the interests of others. And then verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In my Bible, if you turn the page, you go to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to start reading in verse 29 of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus, and he says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. <laughs> this is a great one if you're a parent. This is where you get to tell your kids, if you don't have something good to say. See, you grew up with the same parents. Isn't that awesome? It's the exact same thing. If you don't have something good to say, don't say it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Good point. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice or evil. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Jesus, we pray in these moments that you would light up our worlds with the truth of your word and how it can change and transform us from the inside out. We love you. We thank you. We're grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can be seated. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rolling here this morning, but I want to do that before I jump in. We're entering a new series for the next four weeks. Kind of smash this between Mother's Day and Father's Day. How many of you had a good Mother's Day? Yes. Awesome. Fathers, your day's coming. It's awesome. Mother's Day is one of the highest attended Sundays of the year. Father's Day, one of the least attended Sundays of the year. Just saying. Uh, no pressure. But you're losing. Anyway, <laughs> some of you are like, but we're winning. No, you're not. Uh, let me take us back if I can, because we've said some things over the last few weeks and months and maybe year that I think are important for us to, to be reminded of that they actually have a purpose, that it's kind of all leading to something that is really big in, in our life as a church and our lives as followers of Jesus. And so here's some things I want you to maybe conjure up that we've said. When Jesus shows up, everything changes. When Jesus shows up, everything changes. Hashtag Jesus changes everything. I've been using that a lot in, in my Instagram when I'm posting stories about what Jesus is doing and, and why I'm blessed or how I'm blessed as a person and the fact that Jesus changes everything. We need to understand that when Jesus showed up in this world over 2,000 years ago, everything changed. He started a revolution and what seemed to be upward mobility to success, Jesus said was actually downward mobility, but to be great, must, you must be a servant of all. And he started this revolution, Jesus changes everything. 
And we say, we say, we've been saying this, that when you meet the real Jesus, you're never the same. And so if you're the same, I mean, I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to let you process it. Jesus brings change. You're never the same. And so, so what that, what that, the way that shows up is hope. That our hope goes, goes from worldly hope, which is wishful thinking hope. I, I, I hope the Cubs win a World Series again. and We don't have to wait another hundred years. That's wishful thinking hope to this hope that only Jesus can bring when Jesus shows up and it's confident expectation of a better tomorrow based on the character and promises of God, that he is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do. He always has. He never stopped. And so we believe that with all of our hearts. And so as a result, we want something more than religion. We just do, or at least I hope we do, that religion changes us or attempts to change our heart from the outside in through behavior modification, that if I do something long enough, my heart will eventually change, and it doesn't happen. If we could change our own heart, Jesus didn't need to come. And so Jesus comes in, and he changes our hearts if we'll allow him from the inside out. Are there things that we need to change as we let him do that? Absolutely, from the outside in. Sometimes as he's working on our hearts to be better servants, we get to serve. And he's working on us in that process and he's showing and he's revealing things. So inside out change doesn't negate outside in effort on our part, following and obeying what God has called us to do. And we've been saying this, and I think it's important that we process this a couple weeks ago in a message for a majority of Christians today, and I, I use that term fairly loosely because the world uses it pretty loosely. You ask 10 different people what a Christian is, you get 10 different definitions. In its simplest form, it's little Christ. People who are like Jesus. So let's use it in that form. For a majority of Christians today, Jesus is simply a value-add proposition to their pursuit of the American dream. That happiness some way comes from what I have or what I gain or what I accomplish. Not that any of those things are bad in and of themselves, but if it causes Jesus to be a value-add proposition, meaning I use him when I need him, or I have him as a safety blanket or fire insurance so I don't go to hell, then we've missed the whole point. That when Jesus shows up, he's actually a radical redirection from the American dream, knowing that my, my happiness doesn't come from what I, what I accomplish or what success I have or don't have or what I gain materially. My happiness comes from knowing God. That that's a joy the world can't touch. Are you tracking with me? And that that's what Jesus wants to do in us, and until we fully relinquish control and surrender, that radical redirection of the heart won't change, won't happen. Because here's how we define a radical redirection of one's heart from Jesus simply being a religious experience. It's another way to say it. A radical redirected heart is a heart that desires to draw close to God. Now, that was the light bulb moment a couple weeks ago. Many of us probably sat here saying, man, I'm not even sure I desire that. But you know what? The fact that you recognize that's a pretty huge step. Because the next prayer could be, God, I don't desire, but I want to. I have a willingness to draw close to you. A longing to draw close to you. And right now, the things of this world are way more attractive than they should be. Or I want them to be. And so a radically redirected heart is a heart that desires to draw close to God, resulting in a whole life that revolves around fulfilling that desire to draw close to God. 
radically redirected heart is a heart that desires to draw close to God, resulting in a whole life that revolves around fulfilling that desire. Isn't that good? And we all go, whoa. Right? And so simply put, when Jesus shows up, three things change. And here's a great way to measure how you're doing. And for me, this was revelation, revelatory, whatever the word is. You pick one. It was a light bulb moment. When Jesus shows up, three things change. Your mouth, your mind, and your mission. Your mind changes. What you think about changes when Jesus shows up. So what do you think about? What consumes your thought life? Your mouth, what you talk about, changes. What consumes your conversation? What's at the center of it? What's driving it? And your mission, what do you do with your time? Now, can, I, can we sidebar a second here on this? Can I just say something that has a tendency to not relate to the message, but kind of does, but will be a little bit of a sock in the gut, and then we'll go from there and let everybody catch their breath? Is that okay? Because I think we need to process this, and I've been processing this, and I'll say just to relate and make us feel better, because it's true that, that I'm with you a little bit in this. I say all the time, we're one of the most giving, generous churches I've ever been part of, and that's actually true. When people come in here with a need, we respond so generously. When it comes to the general giving of this church and people paying their tithe and giving, we're able to do a lot of things, and God is blessing. Not as, not as giving, though, with time. A little stingy with time. I'll give my, my resources to that. I'll send some stuff from my home for that. I'll get, but when it comes to me being present, that's a harder ask. Now, I'm not saying everybody struggles with that, but I'm saying time is a difficult thing to give. We're more stingy with our time than we are with our resources sometimes. So that was the punch in the gut. Process that, and we'll, we'll move on. Some of you will stay there the rest of the morning, and that's totally fine. <laughs> and so when Jesus shows up, three things change. Your mind, your mouth, and your mission. And yet we believe, and so we believe, Jesus is the answer. Or don't we? Do we believe that? Jesus is the answer for the world today. It's a song. We've sung the song. I grew up singing the song. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. And so we say that Jesus is the answer. And last week we said you cannot disconnect your actions from your beliefs. So if you say you believe something, it will show up in your actions. So if we believe that Jesus is the answer, then it will come out in the way in which we live, act, and behave. Our mind, our mind, our mouth, and our mission. So how is that truth evident in our everyday conversations? If we believe Jesus is the answer, if it's really good news, then we can't wait to talk about it. I, I tell you, I'll give you an example. I, when I met my wife, I couldn't stop talking about her. It was good news. It was good news. I had made this list. Don't laugh at me, guys. I'd made this list of what I was looking for, and I was like, God, this is what I'm looking for. And he's like, Psh, check this out. And I'm like, holy cow, she's awesome. Like, God blew my list away. This is how God works. You talk about marrying up. I did that. She was a youth pastor at a church, beautiful. She's like really uncomfortable right now. Like this is the moment where everything in the world is just kind of closing in. I would have people call and I'm like, listen to her voicemail. She sounds as beautiful as she is. Crazy, right? In every conversation that I was in, I'm talking about my 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 future wife, this girl I met. It was it was consuming me because I, I believed it. I still do. In case you were curious. She's more beautiful today than she's ever been, inside and out. My point is that it was good news that I had and believed and couldn't not talk about it. 
So if we believe Jesus is the answer to the world, does it come out? And if it doesn't, why not? And I'm not talking about evangelism. I'm not, trying to, I'm not talking about tricking people into Jesus. I'm not talking about defending your faith. We don't have to defend our faith. And we don't have to defend Jesus. Jesus defends himself. He is who he says he is. Focus on Jesus and watch what happens. So here's the good news. You ready for this statistic? Last 25 years, Barna Group discovered this. Christians today are more likely to say they are proactive about looking for or trying to create faith-sharing opportunities with people that don't know Jesus. That's pretty good news. More likely today to share Jesus with people that don't know Jesus. You ready? The number is up from 11% of Christians to 19%. (laughs) Some of you are like, oh man, well that was good news for a second. Listen to what the editor-in-chief at Barna Group had to say. As spiritual leaders and practitioners whose job it is to think and talk about matters of faith, Jesus, it's easy to imagine everyone is regularly doing the same. After all, aren't these the big questions of life? Don't these topics matter more than anything else? The truth is, are you ready? Most Christians are busy with other things. The day-to-day of normal life, jobs, kids, budgets, sports, weather, and what's premiering on Netflix next week. And none of this is bad, but the unfortunate reality is that most adults don't seem to connect their everyday experiences with their faith. Or at least they aren't talking about it if they do. Conclusion of the research after 25 years. What does it look like to have more meaningful conversations within the day-to-day of our normal lives? Over the next four weeks, we're going to answer that question. What does it look like? Many of you guys know that uh, I'm a huge fan of Carl Medeiros. Uh, We've had him here at church. I think God opened that door. I believe he's a voice into our church congregation. Carl was a missionary in Lebanon for 12 years, ministers to uh, the people of the Middle East, uh, spends half of his year in Dubai, another half of his year in Colorado. He's written the book, Speaking of Jesus, which influenced my life in a big way. What does it mean to talk about Jesus? He wrote the book, Christians, Muslims, and Jesus, Understanding Muslims from a Christian Perspective. He wrote Tea with Hezbollah because he's met with the leader of Hezbollah over 40 times. He wrote Adventures in Saying Yes. What does it mean to just say yes to God? And he just released a book in April called 42 Seconds. And when he did, he reached out to some of his pastor friends and he said, hey, would you guys be willing to do a series around the book? And here's what I want you to understand. I, I text this week on Instagram, I put on Instagram that we're going to be doing this and, and asked Carl if he had anything to say, and he said, yeah, the book's not that great. And I said, I know, but it's too late. We're already doing it. Because that's just who he is. We're not trying to sell, help Carl sell books. This is a conversation we've been having as a church. How do we, how do we gauge radical redirection happening in people's lives? You gauge it by the amount of meaningful conversations that are being had. And how do we help people, Christians, follower of Jesus, have better conversations about Jesus? And Carl writes this book, 42 Seconds. Now, the idea of 42 seconds, you can shoot holes in this all day long. The point will be made, and it'll be very clear. Basically, Carl took every conversation Jesus had in the Gospels, and he timed them, said them, and timed them, and averaged out at 42 seconds. Jesus had meaningful conversations within 42 seconds. Isn't that amazing? 
Someone was like, man, I got to be in this relationship. No, he actually had meaningful conversations. So, so let, me, let me share it this way. It's not an exact science, okay? You could probably go in there and read it at a different speed, and you'll come up with a different average. That's not the point. <laughs> let me communicate the point. In those brief connections that Jesus made, much like the ones we make daily, are you tracking with me? In those brief connections Jesus made, he deeply and eternally impacted people's lives. Deeply and eternally impacted their lives in brief contacts. Brief connections, meaningful conversations. Talking about Jesus starts with understanding how Jesus talked, how Jesus related. Man, Jesus was amazingly kind to people. He was hard on his own, the religious. And just because we say be kind doesn't mean that there's a time for us to be direct. Are you tracking with me? Be honest, be truthful. You can do that kindly. But Jesus interacted with people in a way that we could learn with people. It's all about people. Did you know that? Did, did you? I've heard it said, and I may have said this before, that, man, if we just, whether it was work or home or, or the culture or community, if it just didn't include people, we would be fine. <laughs> right? Because people are messy, and, and people hurt people, hurt people, and people are hurt because we're broken, and, and so broken people and broken people coming together as just more broken people. But it's all about people. At least it is for God. It was for Jesus. And so as followers of Jesus, it becomes about people for us. So how Jesus did it is important because every interaction we have then is significant. It is a, it is a divine appointment. A follower of Jesus is coming in contact with somebody in this world that doesn't know Jesus. And Jesus is the answer and we believe that. Are you tracking I've asked that five times. I'll stop asking if you're tracking. So what does it look like to have a meaningful conversation? And the four sections in this book, I am not going to preach anything from this book over the next four weeks, just so you know. I'm going to talk about this at the end and what we want you to do with this book and this resource and how it can help us. But the four sections are pretty powerful by title alone. And here's what they are. Meaningful conversations include being kind, being present, the most valued commodity you have is not time, it's undivided attention. So it's being present, being brave, and being Jesus. So meaningful conversation starts with being kind. Paul said Romans 4, in Romans 4.2, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Did you know that? Kindness is a characteristic of God. And it's that kindness that leads us to repentance, that God is kind. You, you, I say it all the time, I say it again, you woke up breathing this morning, that was kind. That was God. We walked away from relationship with God because mankind rebelled, and yet God pursues us. There is no shadow he won't light up. No mountain he won't climb up running after us. He is in pursuit. If you've never been pursued, you are now. Or at least you're realizing you are now because he wants a relationship with you. And that is the greatest kindness of all, that he would take his own son and send him to die for our sins in our place so we could have the righteousness of God in us because we can't earn it and we don't deserve it. But he gives it freely. 
He gives it to us. And so as followers of Jesus, our everyday interactions start with being kind. Let me, let me, just, let me define kind real quick because it's an attribute of God. It's the quality of compassion and generosity. It's a characteristic of God's dealings towards the weak and poor, and it's demanded of believers. Now, I got to tell you, I get some tension there um, because we don't like to be told what to do, right? It's demanded of believers. If you're going to make a decision to follow Jesus, then God is saying, be kind because he's kind. And it was his kindness that brought you in. And so be kind. And we're like, don't tell me what to do. Here's the deal. You're misunderstanding the demand. Let me give you an example that some of you will love and some of you will be irritated by. It's totally fine. We serve Tala coffee. Okay, some of you are looking up. You're like, I know you do. That's good stuff. I saw it sitting up on the counter in there. Okay, we're very, we're very choosy about that because we have some people that really care about coffee. Okay, if you're like me, I can make any glass of cup, any cup of coffee taste really good. Just enough sugar, enough cream, the right cream, we're good. It doesn't matter. But some of us are like, oh, no, 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 no. There's good coffee and there's bad coffee. And so the people of Tala love their coffee and know exactly how their coffee should be served for it to be its best, for people to like it, for the coffee snobs to rejoice. <laughs> Are you tracking with me? And so they demand that we do this. So we grind it a certain way. We brew it a certain way. And they've come in and taught us and trained us how we do that. The only reason God would demand that we be kind is because we're his representatives to the world. And if you're going to title yourself a follower of Jesus and be unkind, then you're bringing a poor representation to the Father. And we don't want our dad to look bad. We want people to see the family of God and rejoice that they can be part of it. And so he says, be kind. Give me, give me a starting chance with people. Be kind. Now we could stop there, but here's the big thought. And when you jump into Carl's book, you'll see that in him, in, his, in the writing as well. But here's the big thought, even from scripture. It's basically impossible to introduce people to Jesus if you're not kind to them. Do you, do you, do you want to say that again? Well, let's, start, let's try this. How, how many would say that you're... Um, you have kindness issues that you are not 100% of the time, every moment of the day, kind to everyone you meet. Raise your hand. Okay, so we, so we have some kindness issues, right? And, and so as, as we process this, this is huge. It's impossible. I'm going to say it again. It is impossible to introduce people to Jesus if we're not kind to them. This thing starts with kindness, okay? And my heart in this would be that we would desire to engage others in open, authentic Curious, gracious conversation. That that would be our heart's desire as we dive as followers of Jesus. But here's the big problem. You ready? Because this sounds really good, right? I can be better. I can be more kind. I can do that. And we think that we can force ourselves to be kind. Well, that will last for a while if we don't do heart work. But here's the problem. And here's why we need heart work. By nature, we're self-centered. Thank you. By nature, we're self-interested. We're self-important people who value answers, not questions. Jesus brings way more questions than answers. We're more often defensive. We're insecure. We're turned inward, always seeking self-justification. <laughs> Why is that a problem? Well, let me just let me explain self-justification if I can for a minute. You know that moment where 
<laughs> you're communicating with the dude in front of you that cut you off in a way that's not kind. And you're justified in that because they cut you off. And had they not cut you off, you would be kind. You guys, I use driving illustrations a lot. Now, some of you are like, I want to ride with him because I think this would be an experience and we'd find out a lot. I'm just saying that we can relate pretty quick and it's like, and we're unkind. And I'm telling you, I know of a situation where somebody had an encounter like that and was not kind and met the person a couple years later. So this self-justification that I'm doing, I'm unkind because of this reason. Self-justification. And we, and we do this. And the problem is, it's saying when I sin, my thoughts and feelings will begin to tell me that I'm justified in whatever I'm doing or failing to do. That's what self-justification does. It, it justifies our unkindness. And we do that. I've done it when it, when it comes to homeless people. And I drive past them or walk past them or see them and go the other way because in my head I'm justifying that they're there because they choose to be there. We've all said it. Or I'm not giving them anything because I know what they'll do with it. And yet it's probably one of the most marginalized group of people in our world today. And so I have those moments. I'm being transparent. I'm being honest. I have those moments when I have, I'm unkind and justify my unkindness. Well, they, they, my kid, this is a good one for my kids. Well, they did that to me, so I did it to them. Well, that's, that's healthy. <laughs> they said something bad about me, so I said something bad about them. Mm. But we justify it. I had this shining moment. I was driving home from Colorado to Chicago, and I'm about two hours outside of Des Moines. I pull into a gas station. I see this guy standing outside the gas station. His name's Merlin. That's what he told me. And the gas station attendant hollers at me. She says, hey, you going to Des Moines? I'm like, yep, headed towards Des Moines. Could you take Merlin with you? <laughs> Moment of reckoning. I have no reason not to take him with me. So I said, Sure. And all kinds of stereotypes are going in my head. And so is Jesus' talk. So Merlin gets in the car, and you can tell that he hasn't bathed in weeks. And we begin to talk about Jesus for two hours, about his life. One of the most fascinating men I've ever met. Served in Vietnam. Down on his luck. Just a normal, everyday guy. One of the most fascinating people I've ever met because I had a chance to be kind. How many of those moments do we pass by? Like you, I have situations happen in my life where I feel the need to self-justify. But I also have those moments where I experience the joy of not worrying about what other people think. And so I find it easier to be open and kind to others in those moments. We live in a broken, fallen world. And as a result, we have moments of kindness and moments where we're far from kind. And sometimes not being kind is being unkind. 
Can I, can I just make sure we understand that? If there's a storm in our neighborhood and lightning strikes the house across from me and I see fire coming up from the roof, what are you going to do? You're going to run over there and you're going to tell your neighbor, your roof's on fire. Because that's what? Kind. You're probably not going to go, glad it's not my roof, and go inside. Because that is unkind. To not be kind, a lot of times, is unkind. St. Augustine put it this way. We are by nature in curvatus ense. <laughs> yep. So let's move on. Look that up later. <laughs> in curvatus ense is a, a circle turned in on itself. We are that. We are a circle turned in on itself. What does that mean? Every thought, every attitude, desire, passion we have is naturally focused inward. If you don't believe me, get a group of people together who have no idea what's going on and say, join hands and form a circle, and they will by nature face inward. It's what we do. But Jesus comes along and starts a revolution. And for those of us who he is radically redirecting our hearts, we face a different way. Martin Luther said it like this, on our own, even our love and desire for God is for our own good. Ah! Like what? Like even in doing something right, we're wrong? I hate that. What does that mean? We seek God because we think he can do something for us. And if we don't get what we want, we turn away. And I'm not saying we walk away from God. That's not always the case. But we walk to our own solutions outside of God. We try to handle it on our own without putting faith and trust in God. That he has us there for a reason. Why? Because we're all circles turned in on ourselves. Motivated by the need to feel right. To feel justified. To feel like we matter. To feel like we matter more than others. It's our nature. Our world is full of people who cut in line. <sighs> Insult those around them. Don't open doors for others. Laugh at others' misfortunes. Try to show their superiority by dragging other people down. This is where my mom comes in and says, kill them with kindness. I'm like, I don't want to. <laughs> Yet there's also many people who let others go ahead of them in line. Compliment those around them. Hurry to open doors for people. Sympathize with others' misfortunes and show their humility and willingness to serve others. It's easy to pick out the people who are showing kindness in a world that's pretty unkind. Unfortunately, people who base their thinking on survival of the fittest mentality may not see the rationale for true kindness. Why? Because upward mobility is all that matters. Winning. Accomplishing. Success to the detriment of anything and everyone, and a lot of times our own families. See, people like to receive kindness. I do. Be kind. Be kind all the time. That's a good thing. By the way, what I'm not saying is don't be honest. Don't care enough to say what's true. But you can do that in a kind way. I've watched people do it. And so Philippians gives us the most beautiful picture of kindness, but I think we often read this negatively. And, and, and I, want you to, I want you to hear this. It gives us the most beautiful picture of kindness. 
do nothing out of selfish ambition. I mean, you can almost see as if Paul's going, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, put others before you. Don't look just to your interests, but look to the interests of everyone. There's a beautiful picture of kindness stated in a way that should help us see where we stand. Kindness is humbly giving of ourselves in love and mercy to others who may not be able to give anything back, who sometimes don't deserve it, and who frequently don't thank us for it. Man, have you ever been standing at a door holding the door for somebody and they walk by and they don't say thank you? (laughs) And so once they get by and you know they haven't said it, you go, you're welcome. (laughs) Come on, how many of you have done that? Uh huh. That's called negative kindness. You just retracted the kindness you just gave. That's like you let the person cut in front of you and they don't wave. You're like, done with you. License plate, not letting you in again. Ever see you? You're done. Unkind. Negative kindness. But we do that because we are often kind because of what is going to come back for us. And kindness that we're talking about is kind because Jesus is kind. Because Jesus is in us. Basically, kindness means a way of thinking that leads to doing thoughtful deeds for others. And so we have this big problem of self, but we have this big opportunity because of this big problem. And the big opportunity is kindness. It's humility. It's where meaningful conversation begins. It's others. It's other-focused, not self-focused. Why? Because God is kind. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance and his kindness in us that will lead others to repentance. Did you get that? If his kindness leads us to repentance, then his kindness in us will lead others to repentance. I think I said that right. So God created the world as well as humanity and he graciously allows us to live here. Kindness. Isn't that a good God? And not only did he create and allow us to give here and everything that we have, we have because God is awesome and kind and good, but he also gives us free choice to live as we please. We can choose him or not choose him, though he deeply wants us to choose his way of life. Why? Because he knows that it's the only way that will bring true happiness. The American dream won't. It hasn't. What great kindness. What goodness. And that goodness was reflected in Jesus. Man, you can see it in the way he treated the woman at the well. You can see it in the way he was with kids. You can see it in the way he was with the woman that had the bleeding issue. You can see it the way he was with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. You can just see the kindness if you'll go look. So Paul encourages us in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Get rid, verse 31, right before that, get rid of all bitterness. Take it to goodwill. Get rid of it. Don't do that. Bury it. I'm just trying to help you understand. Get rid of means don't keep it. You are crazy if you give something to goodwill, and then when you see it at goodwill, you buy it again. That's dumb. Say it. That just came to me. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of evil. Just get rid of it. Get rid of unkindness and be kind and compassionate to each other, loving one another, forgiving one another. It's our nature to be unkind. You hear me? 
So get rid of the unkindness. And, and here's how, and, and this, is, this is big, because a lot of us will go out and we'll say, well, you tell, you tell me i got to be more kind, so I need to start being more kind. Okay, come on in to the other chin. Here, hold the door for you. Come on. Jeez, you're moving slow. You know what I'm saying? And we'll try to force it to happen, but that is not how it works. And I want you to hear this, and I hope we get this. This is the, this is the closing thought. Human imitation of God's kindness does not come natural. And what doesn't come naturally must come supernaturally. It's only as the fruit of God's spirit shows up in your life through Jesus that kindness can be consistent, a consistent part of the Christian's life. And so Galatians 5, 22 through 23, but the fruit of the spirit, so when we accept Jesus and his spirit is living in us, here is the evidence that we are surrendering our will and flesh and that God is taking over and living through us, the heart of Christ, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Did you hear kindness? Did you hear kindness? See, when the Spirit is in us, kindness comes. As followers of Jesus, it's in our blood. It's there. Not in our strength, but because he put it there. Through his Spirit. And so we surrender our flesh of unkindness. We get rid of it and we say, Jesus, show me how to be kind. Help me be kind. Lead me into kindness. It's again, it's proximity to his presence. You only become like somebody when you spend time with them. It's in our blood because we're one in Christ. We're in Christ. And when Jesus shows up in your life, the circle is always turned outward. Can I say it again? I said this first service, and I just feel like they didn't get it. Don't tell them that. (laughs) Unless they're watching it. When Jesus shows up in your life, the circle is always turned outward. Kindness is easy when you're walking with Jesus. Kindness opens the door, not literally and literally, figuratively and literally. It opens the door to meaningful conversation. It actually opens a door. But listen to me, a circle turned in always shows its backside. That's what it didn't take. I'm tired of the world seeing the church's backside. A circle turned out can actually see others. And when we live out of our own natural tendencies, we are nothing more than circles turned in on ourselves, using our relationships with other people and even using our relationship with God to try and make us feel better about ourselves. Aren't you tired of that? Are you tired of of having to gain your value and approval from what everybody else thinks? See, when we live out of the confidence that Jesus values us deeply and individually, we actually have the chance as a community to be open to people and value others above ourselves. But only when we see our value coming from Jesus, from children, loved as children of the Most High God. I can love people like that. What kind of church would we be if we lived out the confidence, that confidence in the midst of all the change we see around us? What kind of church would we be? We might still be marginalized. That's probably true. We might still struggle. 
and some will still walk away, I'm sure. But the more we engage in people not like us with openness and confidence and genuine kindness, the more they will experience Jesus through us. I got to believe that as Merlin left my car that night, he knew Jesus a little bit better. It's not easy, but if being kind were easy, everybody would do it, wouldn't they? This week, I want you to look for an opportunity to be open and genuine with someone who can't help you gain more status. I want you to be open and genuine with someone who can't help you gain more credit or money or can't help you, period. Be interested in them just because they are unique and uniquely loved. Try treating them as if their agenda was more important than yours. See what God does with that. One more challenge. Because I believe Carl models with his life what we're talking about and has written about it, I think it would be fun for us as a church to walk through it. So over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about, we just talked about being kind. We do that through the strength of Jesus, to be like Jesus. We're going to be present, learn to be present next week. Alex is going to share about that. Got a great message ready. Being brave and being Jesus. It's the title of the four sections in the book. And so we've bought over 300 books. And so they're for sale in the lobby because here's what we're going to do. And so I've modeled it by my own example, just to say I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. So as a family, we're going to go through this. He set it up so that there's four sections, five chapters in each section. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Isn't that awesome? And then there's a closing thought on kindness, closing thought on present, closing thought, you get the idea, for Saturday. How fun. And so what I've done is I've said as a family, we're going we're gonna to walk through this. I grabbed my huddle. It's about five guys. I said, hey, guys, would you love to walk through this together? We formed a text group. I said, every day, every day when you read a chapter, just comment. What stood out? What did you like? What does God challenge you to do? What are you going to do? Share it with all of us. Like, man, that's awesome. And then on this is Saturday. And they're short chapters. The first one in Being Kind, you ready? Two pages. Say hey. Oh, that's hard. Say hi. How often we miss that. Sorry, that's sarcasm. I don't mean to be sarcastic. Acknowledge the waiter. That's eh, about four pages. Ask another question. Don't just give answers. Go deeper. Here's one. I like this one. Oh, that's five pages. Do something small. The last one in the, in the be kind. Talk to the kid. good stuff. Just practical ways of how we bring Jesus into everyday conversations. Why? Because Jesus matters to us. And he's the most important thing in the world and he's the answer for the world's problems. So we want, we, we want to have meaningful conversations and Carl teaches us. And so I've asked my family, my huddle, and then I called two, two other groups. I got three guys and I said, hey, will you guys join me in this? We'll group text. And, we, and they're like, awesome. And I grabbed another three guys. Like, hey, would you guys like this? So there's four groups that I'm going to be talking with all week long about 
What does it mean to have meaningful conversations? What if, I'm not saying do four, I'm just crazy, but I think it'll be fun. I'm already reading it. Let's talk about it with a bunch of people. How do we as believers have more meaningful conversations because God is changing us from the inside out? And so we're gonna challenge you to group up. Grab a book before you leave. You can do it as a family. You could do it as a small group. You could do it as a neighbor with neighbors. You could do, you could just grab some people you know and say, hey, would you read this with me? We'll group text. I told the guys we'll get together twice a month and we'll just talk about it. How is God challenging you to have more meaningful conversations? How are you, how are you conversing like Jesus did? Let's see what God will begin to do. Because the truth is, when a heart is radically redirected, we can't not talk about Jesus. So how do we talk about him more? Because he's the answer for the world. And so we be kind. Because he is kind. Can I pray for you? Lord, thanks so much for this church. And our desire to show this world Jesus. I don't have to defend you, Jesus. You speak for yourself. You were innocent. You loved. You pointed out the religious. You gave us freedom. It was for freedom that you set us free. You're the answer. And as you're changing us from the inside out, I pray it'll be our desire to share what you're doing, to share the hope that isn't wishful thinking, but is confident expectation. And that it will become because we have, it will come out of us because we have this relationship with you and the spirit is in us. And the fruit of the spirit is kindness. And so we'll be kind. And when we're kind, it'll open doors to show Jesus. And we'll give you the honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.